Welcome back to another episode of Family Twist. Today will be just me, Kendall. I'm giving Corey a few minutes away from the microphone, mainly because this is really only talking about my adoptive parents, who, of course, Corey never got to meet. Just so that the listeners kind of can remember that part of my story. My parents adopted me when I was two months old. And well, I should say they took custody of me when I was two months old. And my adoption technically happened exactly nine months later, which was the law in Arkansas at the time to give the birth parent time to come back and reclaim the child, which obviously didn't happen. My mother was Betty. My, my adoptive mother is Betty Austin. And she only lived until I was 10. She died the week after she turned 46 in 1980. And then my adoptive father, Rubel, her husband, um, Rubel Austin, uh, lived until 1987 when I was 16 and he was 53. So this episode kind of is related to my childhood and really centers around the church. And I should explain that when I was a toddler started, my mother was off for off work for two years after I was born where my dad and she had saved money and they were fortunate because most people cannot afford to have, you know, that happened, but my mother was off work for two years so that she could, you know, be with me. And, but at that two year point, I started going to nursery school and my mom's sister, my aunt Pat worked at, um, a nursery school that was run by a church called first Baptist. My aunt Pat and uncle Don went to that church. My aunt Pat worked at that church and it was in the same town where my parents both worked. So, you know, my hometown is only four miles from that town, but it just it logically made sense. Right. And around that same time, my mom and dad wanted us as a family to start going to church together. We really hadn't up until that point. And now that I was like, two or three going to the nursery school. My mom and dad wanted us to start going to church together as a family. And my aunt Pat and uncle Don wanted us to go to that church where they went already, but that's not what happened. We lived in the neighboring town called Gosnell and my mother felt really strongly that a, you should support your local community. In other words, like we should go to church in the town where we live. B, she wanted to get to know more of the local townspeople better than she knew them. And she also wanted me to get to know the children that I would end up going to school with in our town because I would never have gone to school in Blytheville, which is where First Baptist Church was where I was going to nursery school because we didn't live there. So 
for my parents, it just made sense for us to go start going to Gosnell Baptist. So that's related to my story because something pretty cool happened. I always knew it was a possibility, but Corey and I have a fireproof safe in our house and it has, of course, important things in there like our passports and, you know, birth certificates and all those things. But we also have a few audio cassettes that are from my childhood. And kind of recently, we bought a converter that would help not only with those cassettes, but with just other cassettes that we have, we wanted to digitize them, right? We really don't play them because, you know, who has an audio cassette player nowadays? I think we still have one, but it's just not, it's not our practice. It's not something that we do to, to go and pop in an audio cassette. Now in the safe, there, there were a couple of cassettes. And they uh, have my parents and my voices on there. So two separate cassettes. My, my mother's is where she is teaching Sunday school, which she always had. And, but she, and maybe it was a fluke. I don't even know if it was a regular thing because I was so young. I don't really remember, but when it was, when this recording was made, my mother is leading the class, which includes me, my age group. And I think I was around three in the recording, but I can also hear the voices of children who I, I don't mistake. I know that these are the kids that I'm thinking of and they would have been probably, yeah, three years older than I was. So that might not be common nowadays. I don't know that you would try to have a Sunday school class with three-year-olds and six-year-olds and possibly older children, but my church was not large. That church that we ended up going to Gosnell Baptist was not large at the time. So it kind of makes sense to me that it would have been a mixed class. And really, I always knew that my mother was great with kids. It's evident. It was evident to everybody and it, the recording just proves how good she was, that she is one of those people who could wrangle the three-year-olds while still entertaining and engaging with a six or a seven-year-old. You know, she's, she just had that natural ability to a not seem stressed when she probably could have and should have dealing with, you know, a class full of, of kids but she enjoyed it. She loved children. And which is again, why I think it's so wonderful that she was able to be a mother to me for even 10 years because she just, she was meant to be, she was meant to be a mom and not everybody is. So, but anyway, I love hearing her talk to us children, part of the exercise and part of what was, was recorded we apparently had all drawn pictures and she was having us show the class our pictures and kind of describe what we drew. And uh, I don't know if the listeners think of me as goofy, but I was a very goofy child. I 
was always silly. I was always laughing, which is a good thing. But I also know that I pushed my parents' patience because I didn't always obey and I would act goofy in situations when I shouldn't. So I can sense that I'm pushing my mother's buttons a bit because apparently, I think I remember correctly, that I had drawn a tree. And, but of course, when I got up to show the class what I had drawn, I called it Superman. And A, I'm sure it didn't even literally look like a tree. And I'm very sure it didn't look like Superman. I'm a horrible artist. And I, you know, there's no way I would have drawn anything that anybody could have guessed as Superman. So what happened is that I drew a tree. I called it Superman solely for the purpose of getting laughs from my audience. Mary, would you tell us what your picture is? This is a flower. Stand up so we can all see it. Wouldn't you do that? This is a flower. That's pretty. I don't know what this is. I need a banjo. It could be, couldn't it? This is a banjo. Uh-huh. Here's the sun. Oh, that's beautiful. Here's the moon. That's pretty. And here's the grass. Oh, I love grass. That's nice, Terry. That's real pretty. Wait, just a minute. Julie has finished. Let's go this way, Julie. Is that okay? Julie, turn yours around and show everybody. This is a moon. This is a shoe. A shoe. Uh-huh. What's this? Big fence. A what? Big fence. Okay, that's to keep the animals in. What is this? Well, that's beautiful. I see the rays out from it. What is that? A what? A tie. A tie. What? Okay. Come on, Wait just a minute. Melinda, have you finished? Okay. Maria, then we'll, then Kendall will get to you. Maria, let's see yours. Talk up for a Turn around. Turn around. Stand up that way and turn around. I can't hear you. A hat? That's a hat. Oh, excuse me. How beautiful. Kendall, you got two pages. A front and a back? This is a guitar. Yours? 
Kalinda, have you finished yours? No. Tell us what you're making. Mm -hmm. Huh? Yeah, I didn't know. I'm trying to do one thing. I didn't know. It's a hat. Well, what did Bob want me? Show him the hat with the ball on it. <laughs> 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 Show him the hat with the ball on it. Maybe. You've got pictures on the other side. Why don't you stand up and tell us what they are? Uh -huh. Stand up and tell us what they are. An organ. Okay. That's a beautiful instrument. And this is one? A drum. That's a pretty instrument. A what, honey? A suitcase. A suitcase to carry something in. A house. A house. And what else have you got on? A what? Ball. Ball. That's good. And what's on the back of your paper? I But it's going to be flowers, isn't it? Flowers all in a row. Melinda? You don't want to tell us what you've got? Huh? How many of you have someone in your family who plays an instrument, a musical instrument? I don't. I play, I play, I got an organ and a guitar. You got an organ for Christmas last year, you told us. Tammy, is there anyone in your family who plays a piano or a musical instrument? Uh, we don't, we I play an organ, but it, it don't play anymore. It doesn't play anymore. Terry, does anyone in your family have a musical instrument that they play? I play a guitar except my fingers. You play a guitar. And I, I, I have a guitar. Kendall has a guitar. Melinda, you want to tell us what's next Christmas? Next Christmas, I'm gonna get me a beanbag. A beanbag. Well, that's pretty good. Be wishing for, I guess. Yeah. A what? I got me a suit. Two what? Two heels. Two heels. I love heels. I hate heels. I hate to climb up heels. I down. And what else, Melinda? The sun, and the sky, and the clouds. That's good. What's right? It's right. I didn't like it. I didn't. Turn. Let's sing it again.
sound like something I would have done as a, as a young kid. I was good at those kinds of moments. And my mother quickly, probably to diffuse the situation, to stop some of the laughter, my, you can hear my mother say, oh, Kendall, sweetie, an artist you will never be. And I, I think she, you know, she wasn't saying it to be mean. She was right. I was not an artist. And didn't really have aspirations apparently, but she ironically was a great artist. She could draw. She, she used to use, you know, draw with pencils, colored pencils and just even just normal graphite. And then she also was a fantastic painter. I'm going to try to get some images put up on our website that show some of her art. It means a lot to me because something that she and I did together after she had become sick. I know now that at the time my mother and father uh, thought that she was terminally ill and she obviously did die, but she made the very conscious effort 
that she and I would go to art classes together. And one of her very best friends is a fantastic artist too, was a fantastic artist, Miss, Mrs. Joyce G, who I loved very much. And we took private lessons with Joyce, not to be confused with my stepmother, Joyce. So different, different Joyce than you've heard me talk about before, but Joyce and JDG were pair, friends of my parents and Joyce gave private lessons. And so my mom and I would go on a weekday afternoon and, you know, have an hour, an hour and a half session where I was trying to learn technique. I was six, seven. And I took it really seriously. I don't think I ever uh, did well, but I did progress a little bit, but that isn't the point. It, the point for that exercise was to spend wonderful moments with my mother and to watch her do something that meant so much to her and to be doing it with one of her friends. So any reference to art with my mother always, it touches a chord in me because it's, it's a memory that I go back to really pretty often. So that, that was the one, one of those wonderful cassettes that Corey and I found and digitized. This is my mom. And then a second one is my adoptive dad reading to me. And I've mentioned this previously on this podcast, but my parents read to me constantly and made me read to them constantly. I was very advanced in reading and I owe it all to them. The beautiful giant silk moss settled on the green leaf of an apple tree and made a tiny egg. <laughs> a very small caterpillar began to grow inside the egg. It found plenty to eat there, <coughs> as the egg contained a tasty liquid. Wait, huh? In the warm weather, the egg soon hatched. Out of it came a funny-looking caterpillar, which at once started eating the leaf of the apple tree. His mother had laid the egg there because she knew her baby would like the apple tree leaf. <laughs> Little caterpillar ate and ate leaves of the apple tree and other fruit trees and kept getting too big for his skin. Several times he had to shed or get rid of his skin so it might grow some more. In time it became a big bright green caterpillar. He had strong jaws and six legs and a horn in the back of his body. He had brightly colored little knobs on his head. During the lazy summer days, the caterpillar moved about slowly, finding things to eat. It seemed to enjoy life as a creature without wings and unworried about not being able to fly. But winter was coming, and the caterpillar began to prepare for it. It began to weave a little home for itself on a twig that spun silk thread after thread and began to cover itself with a hard gray brown cocoon. Yeah. Winter arrived. Bitter winds blew and rains and snow fell. Snug and safe inside this cocoon, the caterpillar hardly seemed to be alive. Yet strange things were happening to it. It was changing little by little. 
Finally, spring came. The apple trees, maples, the wild cherries, and the elms put out their leaves. All nature came to life. The flowers budded and the grass grew. It was time for the creature inside the cocoon to come out into the world again. So it came forth this time in a beautiful and glorious way. At first it appeared as a big, wrinkled creature, but not for long. It stretched and stretched until soon what was once a green caterpillar now changed into a lovely giant silk moth with brightly colored wings about as big as this picture, and it could fly. Hello, little children. I'm going to read you a story about the children's suit. And when I say dong, it'll be time for you to turn the page. Susie and Ned are visiting the children's zoo. It is a very special kind of zoo. Grown-ups can't even go in unless they, need, unless they go with one of us, said Ned proudly. Look, said Susie, most of the animals are little too. Here's a baby kangaroo. I wonder if they have any guinea pigs like our pet, Mr. Guinea Pig, says Ned. Dong. Here comes a woolly young llama. He has the longest eyelashes I've ever seen, said Susie. The llama likes to have his back scratched. He also likes to eat the straw flowers on Susie's pocketbook. But Susie says, no, llama. She feeds him an animal cracker instead. Oh, it's nice and warm in here, says Ned. This is where the duck eggs are hatched. The butter yellow duckling babies are kept warm and snug until they're old enough to waddle out into the world. Dong. Now it's time to visit the rabbits. The keeper brings them out. He puts them in the middle of a round drum. Susie pats the snow white one. He is soft he is soft as Susie and Ned's own pet, Mr. Guinea Pig. And the pink inside his ears is pale as a pink inside a seashell. Ned likes a black and white bunny with funny eye patches best. Ned feeds him a cracker. Nibble, nibble till it's all gone. Soon the keeper says nap time and he takes the bunnies back to their cage. Dong! The children walk down to the churning, turning mill on the river D. There they see two floating swans, five honking geese, and a whole fleet of ducks with fancy feathers. Then holds out his hands. All the animals come bobbling by for bits of animal crackers. Honk, honk, paddle, paddle, swish. Um, what a delicious crumb. Dong! Something else. Something else lives in the water. A huge blue water-spouting whale. His great red mouth is open wide. Both Susie and Ned can walk inside. Look, says Susie. He swallowed a whole tank full of tropical fish. No wonder he spouts, says Ned. Think how those fish must tickle his tummy. Dong. Part of the children's zoo is a farm. In the barnyard, Susie and Ned meet some old storybook friends. They see the three little pigs. The first pig lives in a house made of straw. The second pig lives in a house made of sticks. And the third pig lives in a house made of bricks. They see bye-bye black sheep, brown cow, and a spotted calf, and little gray donkey, and here a chick, and there a chick, and there were a chick. But there's nobody like Mr. Guinea Pig, Susie says sadly. Bong. 
Susan Ned makes new friends at the farm. Susie likes the young yak, what Jim Lizy has, and such long, silky, soft hair. Ned prefers a pair of shaggy Shetland ponies. He and Susie pet their velvety noses. There are still so many things to see before it's time to meet Mother. There's an apartment house for mice, and a monkey who dances to music, tame deer who eats from your fingers, and a talking bird with a bright orange beak. And there are still many things to do. Susie wants to listen to storytelling time. Ned wants to slide right down to the bottom of the rabbit hole. And both children want to feed the bulldog trash basket. Dong! There's still there are places to visit. Susie and Ned can't leave without seeing Hansel and Greta's, Gretel's candy cane house with its white icing roof and gumdrop chimney. Let's go to the castle on the hill, says Susie. The castle has high turrets and towers. It is guarded by friendly goats with green gold eyes. Dong! From the tower window inside, Susie and Ned look down on the whole children's zoo. They can see all the animals and all the things to do. They can see the pond and the whale. They can even see part of the park, the trees and the tall, tall buildings beyond. Oh. As they are leaving the zoo, Susie and Ned make one last stop. Noah's Ark. Up the ramp they go, the two of them, just the way Noah told the animals to go. Inside the Ark, all the animals are ready for the long voyage. And in one corner, can it be? Yes, it is. It is a snow-white guinea pig. He is fat and furry and friendly. He looks just like Susie and Ned's own pet, Mr. Guinea Pig. Dong! Ned runs to Mother, who is waiting by the gate. Guess what, he says. We saw a guinea pig just like ours. He even squealed the same way, Susie said. Oh, when can we come back and visit him? Mother smiles and says, Very soon, that is, if you'll take me along with you. I'd like to meet that guinea pig and all of the other animals, too. They instilled in me the importance of education, the importance of reading and vocabulary and sentence structure and punctuation and capitalization. They, they, they really did from a very young age. I was constantly surrounded by, and it wasn't an elitist thing. It was that they wanted me to be a good communicator and they wanted me to be advanced. They wanted me to go and not struggle at school because they saw children who did who struggled. And my dad read to me all the time. He would bring out the time magazine and have me read things that were well beyond my comprehension level just to practice it. it it's something we did and we enjoyed doing it. He would. He often cooked dinner and because my mother, when she went back to work after I was adopted, she, she was very fortunate. They had, she had taken two years off work after I was born, after they adopted me and they understood how fortunate they were to be able to afford to do that. And because of that, when she did go back to work, she worked later in the day than my father and my dad, A, loved to cook, B, wanted to get everything going so that when she walked in the door, we were ready to sit down for dinner. And I remember often he would hand me the recipe book 
or even if he was, you know, doing something simple where he was using a box, you know, something that, you know, he's just taking something out of a box. He would have me read the directions to him. And I'm talking about when I was three, four, more four, I, I was very advanced because of him and because of her and I enjoyed it. I felt like I was a big kid because I could read the recipe, you know, book for my dad to help him prepare dinner, you know? So I have such positive memories of him. And if you hear a snippet, we're going to try to upload a snippet of his reading to me. He was just in that he was a natural. There's a reason that at church, he was often called upon. I don't know how common this is nowadays. He was often called upon by the minister during the service to give a, an ad hoc prayer to, you know, pray publicly for the congregation on, be, on behalf of the congregation. And he was fantastic at it. And it wasn't pageantry. It wasn't theatrical. He was just naturally gifted at doing those sorts of things. And you get a little sense of that when you listen to his voice while he's reading to me. He just, he had a natural ability to engage me and, and other people as well. But I, I, I listened intently and I loved when he read to me. I loved my mother read to me as well, but Often it was he who read to me when it, whether it was bedtime or on a Saturday afternoon, you know, he, he was usually the one who engaged me with that, with, with reading and, and sort of teaching, you know, he was a master of, even though he wasn't formally educated, I mean, graduated high school, but he was fantastic at English and grammar and punctuation and spelling and all the things that an English major would love. And he instilled early in me how important that would be. And I see it. I see it in my work life today. I work with people who are incredibly smart and I cannot write an email, you know, to save their lives. And I am glad that I never have struggled with that. So I feel really fortunate and I'm not tooting my own. Yes, I am tooting my own horn, but only because I'm doing it out of respect for my parents and how much they instilled important things into me at an early age. So I think it's so cool that we have the recorded voices now in digital form. I, we will listen to those often, I'm sure, but it is a tear jerking moment for me every time because I miss them so much. Um, I can't, you know, it doesn't matter that it's been 43 years since my mother passed away. It doesn't matter. There is a hole in my heart where she is and will always be. And if I can respect her and him, 
by talking about them, even in these small ways on the podcast. I want you to know how much they meant to me and how much they made me who I am. And my only regret for Corey is that I wish he had gotten to meet them and that I had gotten to meet his father. Um, I'm very fortunate to have his mother in my life. But thank you all so much for listening. I knew I couldn't make it through this episode without a couple of tears. But it's, it's genuine. It's from my heart. And we appreciate so much that you allow us into your home, homes, into your lives. And we want to continue to tell your stories and stories of people that you know who have, you know, crazy adoption stories, DNA discoveries. I want people to find peace and solid peace. I want people to find peace in hearing these stories. Thanks so much. Corey will be back with us next episode.